Welcome to the Hog Call Podcast. This is Chad. And this is Tim. So today we're going to be doing episode three. I would like to remind you to please subscribe to the Hog Call Podcast on one of your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play, or Stitcher. Really, we're on all the directories, so any anyone you'd like, listen live at ipatio.com. The only live, real-time, uncut, uncensored, Razorback podcast by fans, for fans. Friend us on Facebook at Hog Call Podcast, or follow us on Twitter at Hog Call Podcast. Chad runs the Facebook page, and Tim runs the Twitter page. Support the Hog Call Podcast by helping us spread the word. Give the Hog Call a five-star rating and comment on iTunes. Even if it's just Go Hog, it goes a long way to up us in the ratings. If you would like to support the podcast financially, visit our Patreon page and leave and become an investor. See our special incentive here. We are counting on fan support. If you would like to get on the pod call, a podcast, email us or call us at 812-850-0110 or podcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you everyone for your support, and we look forward to hearing your comments and questions come through the email and the, uh, the, the voicemail. So, Tim, how's it going? Ah, doing all right. Um, better. The hogs were two and zero. Um, surprising that we're sitting at one and one. It's always a better week, work-wise, uh, life-wise, anything. When the hog after a hog win, uh, the week after is always nice. But that's not what we're facing right now. Absolutely, totally agree. Uh, you know, we had a we had a hard loss, one that we should not have had. And I've been listening and reading all the uh, the pundits out there. I've been listening to all the different podcasts. You know, some, some folks have said some things like, "Oh, I think it was um, the, uh, uh, the." They said, "Oh, I think they didn't have the mental toughness to win the game. The players didn't have the mental toughness." And I just think this is not the time to be calling the players out. After watching that game, I don't think it was a player situation. I definitely don't think that there was some kind of a mental toughness issue that the players had uh, during this game. I felt like they fought hard from the beginning of the game all the way to the end of the game. I thought thought the players did everything they could do. What do you think? Do you think the players played hard as they could from beginning to end of that game? I felt like they did. I don't feel... Uh, obviously, there's things that they can correct, as always. They didn't play the best games, but I, I never saw a, a lack of effort or a lack of heart. Um, I thought, as we'll get into in this podcast, reviewing the Colorado State game, I thought the difference between us blowing them out, was, uh, like we thought Colorado State, was the combination of the players um, not playing up to their uh, game that they'd like to play and uh, the coaching. And I thought the, the difference between just in, us in general losing the game was uh, on Chad Morse. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I think the coaching is the main reason that we lost this game. And I'm going to go ahead and give a perspective from my coach's perspective of what I saw, what I think lost the game for us. Number one, 
the altitude. Okay, every it's well known that altitude is a problem. Altitude sickness is a problem. I'm not saying anybody got altitude sickness because they didn't go up quite that high, but they did go up to a high enough altitude that it would have affected their bodies if they were not acclimated to that altitude. And they went and flew in on Friday and played on Saturday. And all of the research shows that there's a three-day acclimation period. Everybody suggests when you go into Denver or anywhere nearly as high as that, which isn't quite as high as Denver, but it's still almost as high as Denver. But when you go to an altitude like that, you need three days to adjust to be at 100%. And our players were not at 100% of their physical capabilities because they didn't have three days to adjust, period. They should have been there. They should have had a hotel. They should have been adjusting. And I think that made a huge difference in the game. I think you saw that in the fourth quarter when you saw the team start to dwindle down and they just couldn't keep up. And in the beginning of the game, we could. And it wasn't a conditioning issue prior, in the prior game. So it leads me to believe the altitude is what caused that conditioning issue in the fourth quarter. What do you think about that? I totally agree with you. Uh, I'm going to put a lot of it on the altitude. Um, the defense shouldn't have been in that position to uh, be on the field for eight minutes of that, or, or I guess longer. I think actually was it maybe 11. I think I heard Arkansas only had the ball about four minutes. So in college, I would make defense on the field for about 10 or 11 minutes. Um, and with that, that combined with the altitude, my goodness, um, I don't know how they could be expected to give up, you know, those, those 20 points. Um, yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, is that, that comes strictly to coaching. And it's where the coach makes the decision that we're going to fly in on Friday and we're going to have a normal game week that week and we're going to play that game like it's any other game. Especially after you watched Hawaii, you watched Hawaii struggle and you saw them come back towards the end of the game on Hawaii. Even playing another team that's acclimated to that altitude in Colorado, who came, as they came back towards the end of the game. So you're going to put yourself at a deficit by not flying in early and going ahead and getting your body used to that altitude before you go in to play that game. And to me, that is a major head coaching flaw. And that, that had us invested before we even walked on the field. And that's a problem. I just don't see why, uh, why they weren't out there day early. What, I mean, what was, what was the benefit of staying home for one more day? When obviously I was like, you know, you talked about it. You've seen, you had to watch the game. You had to watch, no, we weren't, we didn't have a game, uh, week zero when Colorado was playing Hawaii. They should have watched it live. Right then there, how did you not notice the number one thing? Hey, Hawaii, up big, but man, they almost lost in the fourth quarter. That altitude must be something. What is our number one? I mean, how can we make sure that doesn't happen? And to come there last minute, uh, yeah, I don't care. I mean, even if it is just, I mean, it's still a mile high up there. Or almost, I mean, even though it's not 8,000, 9,000 feet, it's still, I mean, my goodness. I, I, I'm with you, Chad. I don't, I don't understand. Where you thought well, I mean, they can practice somewhere. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, absolutely. And when you say practice somewhere, that brings us to another point that you made the other day when we were talking when you said that 
one of the issues was the balls were being overthrown a little bit. The 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 kicks were going further than we thought they would. That's all has to do with altitude. If we had had at least just one practice in that high altitude, we would have had a little more time to get acclimated to, you know, the um, the air, the air conditions, and the uh, and, and the lack of oxygen. And we did not, we didn't acclimate ourselves to that. So number one, not um, not being logistically prepared for the game, come straight down to the head coach. Say the football director of football operations may have played a part in that uh, and, and making that decision to fly in on Friday. But ultimately, the head coach has to say, "Look, we got to get there early. We got to get acclimated to the altitude. This is something that this game's too big for us. We can't chance losing to a team like this because of the altitude." And, and sorry, but, it's, and it's our first it's our first road game of the year. So game one was at home, so it's not and all fall camp is at home. So it's not like they got in late last Saturday night from, you know, playing on the west coast or east coast or somewhere and had a short week at home. Absolutely. And then when we move past the altitude, you can't just put it all on altitude. I'm gonna no, one no, point about not. altitude though, is whenever the coach was asked about altitude several times this week by the press, he always turned it around somehow and said, I don't make excuses, I'm putting this on me 100%, and then talked about the players. And if you're not making excuses and you're putting it on yourself, why don't you tell me what you did, that what you could do to improve, what you're going to do better in the future. That's what I want to know as a fan. What are you going to do in the future to correct those mistakes that you made? What are the mistakes that you made? What do you perceive as mistakes that you made? Not just oh, we made the mistake, this is on me, and, you know, this drive happened, and it happened this way, and this, that, and other. That's putting it back on the players. I want to know what you did where you can directly change so that we're not going to have this issue in the future, especially after coming off of a regime like Brett Bellamo where we had real coaching issues, and we're expecting those coaching issues to be corrected. It's not wrong of the fans to expect you to Explain yourself as a coach and tell us why you lost that game and how you're going to correct it, especially being to the team that we lost to, to a Mountain West team. We've only played, you know, we've never lost to this team, and we've only lost to a Mountain West team one other time. So now we got two losses to Mountain West team. And, and it shouldn't have happened. It really shouldn't have happened. So to move on from the altitude, the next thing is I thought we were going to hammer down. Okay, the speed of football was a little faster. And I liked how the speed of the football went faster, the snaps were faster. But we didn't hammer down like we said we were going to. When we had a situation at the beginning of the game where it was fourth and short, we should have went for it there, and we didn't do it. Then again, we had another situation towards the end of the game where it's fourth and short, where it's a definite go for it and we don't go for it, which tells me that Coach Morris does not trust his offensive line, and he doesn't trust his defense. What do you think about those two calls? Oh, gosh. Yeah, the the first one, is, the first chance to go for it was bad enough, but uh, that fourth, and I know it doesn't come down to one play, blah, 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 but that, that was just, that was big time. We said at the time it's not second-guessing, that fourth and one, when we could have put the game away. 
to not go for it was absolutely not hammering down. Um, my seat in the Fort Collins Stadium, I was yelling, go for it, go for it. I text you because there's a little pause. like, we got to go for it. And you're like, got to. Just booming. Oh, yeah, we're going to go for it. And then we come out and the punt team comes out. I had my hands on my head. I could not believe it. I just I couldn't believe we didn't go for it. And I believe in your offensive line in that game when we when we had 200 yards rushing alone in the first half to say say I don't believe in you guys to get that couple of inches against uh, Colorado State. I mean that that hurt and we'll put the game away. I, mean, I know again it doesn't come down to one play, but and people have said that this week or whatever. But sorry, I don't believe it. I believe we would. I believe they would have just ran the damn ball with Kelly or Whaley or Boyd, whoever. Uh, we would have converted and uh, kept on, even, you know, Absolutely. kept on that drive and won the game. I totally agree with you, absolutely. And it doesn't come down to one play. That's why I'm going to make the case here that the coach lost this game and not the players. Because that's what I saw. And when I see players lose the game, I'll make a case for that. You know, but in this case, the coach straight up lost the game. And these are one of the reasons they lost is because on those situations, if you are playing aggressive football, like we were told that we were going to be playing, and we were told he was going to be coaching aggressive football, and then he came out and coached a conservative game. Don't tell me you're going to do something if you're not going to do it. If you're going to coach a conservative game, tell me you're going to coach a conservative game. That way I'm not expecting an aggressive game. Furthermore, the other thing that, that is an issue is when you have a fourth and one situation in these games when you're playing these smaller schools, you need to go for it because when we're playing Auburn and Alabama and LSU and Ole Miss, when we have fourth and one situations where we're going to need to go for it, we need some practice in a live game setting situation. And I think that we had a good opportunity to practice right there and we didn't do it and it wound up costing us the game. Now the other thing is why are we mailing the ball with 42 seconds left on the clock? Oh gosh. You know, I mean we've been running the ball great the whole game. We've been running, running, running. We get six yards to carry easy. So what we need to do now is a play action pass. Call in a Petrino special. That's what he would do. Play action pass it right there because the running game's been going so well. If you don't want to call in a play action pass, you want to be a little more conservative, I'm okay with that, but hand the ball off. Okay? We're playing a team that is really a practice game for us, honestly. This is really a lot for us. It's a game that we should go in there and win, and we should be aggressive in playing these games because it's going to help us be prepared again when we play our SEC games and be, be able to be more aggressive when we play our SEC games because we'll have practice in these scenarios like a 40-second scenario or, or, you know, a two-minute drive scenario. How do you feel about that? I agree. Um, first, fourth and one again, I was like, man, if we're not going to go for it against Colorado State, I was like, I get it even if later on in the year. If we had a situation against Alabama or Auburn, it's, it's one thing, you know, punting, punting on that against them. You know, I was like, man, I think it's a gone for it, but not it against Colorado State. But, yeah, again, uh, like I said, I still had 40 seconds before halftime. And we were saying that at the time. Uh, go for it. Um, even on 
first down, run the ball up the middle. Uh, like, okay, could get Colorado State thinking, hey, they're just going to run the clock out. You know, um, we, the way we were running the ball, we could have broke one for a first down. Let's say we just got five yards or something. They come right back, get in your no huddle, and then act like you're about to run it. Play action. Could have gone for maybe exactly. the uh, I don't, I just don't get the, this whole, I, we got to be aggressive. I don't, I don't understand. If there's nothing to lose this year, why would you just, why would you play fairly like that? There's no, there, there's no point in it. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, even if we wouldn't convert these things, I'm still going to, hey, went for it. You know, I, I would respect you for having the balls to, you know, go for it. And Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I'm saying is let's just try. You know, let's just try to do something to, to be an aggressive team and to win some games. Because it is Coach Morris's first year. The team he's got is not the team he's built. So there are going to be some challenges there. But as a high school coach coming into college, I thought that he would have the, the thought process to make enough changes that he could win with the guys he had. And that's one of the big things that I talked about, how I was excited that he was a great high school coach and he was going to come in and be able to use the weapons he had to make some stuff happen. And that's not what he did. It reminded me of Brett Bellema, honestly, but the opposite. We're going to go out here and throw the ball no matter what, even if our run game is excellent this, this week. We're still going to run. We're still going to throw it. That's my identity. That's what we got to do. That's kind of what I felt like he kept reverting back to in instances when he didn't need to revert back to that, you know. And the hurry up offense does not need to, to throw the ball around. Jeff Malzahn runs a very similar offense, and he runs the ball a ton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hell, even Bill in his first year, he was going for a fourth down, fake punt, and all this crazy uh, crazy stuff. I don't, I mean, just don't, I don't think we can try at least something. Yeah, it's supposed to be Morris learning when he was in trouble or whatever in high school, and he went to Morris, or not Morris, he, Morris went to Malzahn. Learned under him, studied under him. Said, uh, "Oh yeah, he's you know, uh, God learned under and everything." I was like, "Mouth, I will run it down your throat." If he keeps running the ball, and he's done it to us in the last couple of years at Auburn. If he's running the ball, he's just going to keep running it down your throat. He doesn't care. If Mouth, I'll throw it forty times, fifty times, he'll do it. He has to run it sixty times. He'll do it. I mean, just to, I mean, whatever works for winning. I don't understand and hat to it. I don't know what he's yeah. trying to. Absolutely. And maybe he was trying to practice and, and, and trying to practice his, his game or the game he wants to call and wants to play against a lesser school. And I understand that if, if that's the case. But there comes a time when you have to do what's working. And, and running the ball was working. And, you know, we, we have to do what's going to work to win these games. Cole Kelly came in and gave us a spark in the second half. I said in the second quarter, let's get in the second quarter, we need to bring in Cole Kelly. Why aren't we bringing in Cole Kelly? We were told by Coach Morris, we're going to run this game exactly the way we ran the last game. We're going to test out, uh, you know, Kelly just like we tested out um, Story. And we're going to, you know, let Story be the starter because he's earned that. But nothing's definite. Kelly's definitely going to get in just like um, 
uh, story got in. And then what has happened, he just keeps story in there and doesn't bring in Kelly. And then Kelly comes in and gives us a spark. So that's just the third or fourth bad coaching decision that is made by Morris that I believe cost us the game. I believe if we got Kelly in that game earlier, we would have had a couple touchdowns in the third quarter just like Story had us because when when Kelly came in, he got us a couple. So if we had a couple in the in the uh, second quarter and then a couple in the third, that would be a whole lot nicer than just a couple in the third. And listen to this on the, on the first couple of drives of the game. Um, uh, on the first drive, first down, pass, first down, pass, another first down, 20 pass, second, 22 pass. So the first drive, or first drive, we threw it four straight times. Second drive, first play of the second drive, devil away, first down, 11 yards. And then the next three plays, we passed the ball. I just, I just noticed that. And then the next drive, when we scored the first touchdown, it was about the whole, I think there was one pass in within 12 plays. It's like that game is running. I don't, the running game I just, I just noticed that how, like, wow, I just was thinking back and looking at that in the first couple of drives. was like, you passed it seven out of eight times, and the only run was 11 yards. And it finally took you third or fourth drive to figure it out. Yeah, the running game's working. you got to run the ball. That is period, point blank. If we ran the ball more, we won the game. If we went for it on the fourth down, I believe we won the game. If we prepared for the altitude, I think we would won the game. I think these individually would have won us the game, honestly. I think we bring Cole Kelly in center, we win the game. But you put all these together, and it's a definite loss. It's not like it uh, was one mistake in one area that caused it. It wasn't just the fourth down and one, though. It was, no, it no, was it several wasn't things that added, added up. And the thing here that's important about this is that our coach that we had previously was not a good coach. And for years, everybody kept saying, oh, you know, we got to give him time. We got to let him build his team. We got to let him get his players in there. He's going to turn it around. He's a great coach. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, all Arkansas fans hated him and wanted him gone in one year. I started saying that he wasn't a good coach when we hired him and then we didn't need to bring him in. And my thing is, is that you have to look at these tendencies in these coaches. You gotta look at these coaches from from the long haul, the big picture. And you gotta you gotta put everything together and it's like looking at you know, we got this hurricane coming in and I'm sure everybody's seen these hurricane maps with all the spaghetti strings that go everywhere. Right? And it's like which path is this hurricane gonna take? Well, you don't look at one map and try to figure it out. You look at several modules over time and then you figure out which one has the most consistency, and that's the one you go with. And it's the same way with a coach. You need to look at it over time and see if it's consistent. So with me, I feel like it's important for us to say, this coach did these things wrong because if he's not the right coach, we need to get somebody else in there who is the right coach. Now, I'm not saying we need to fire Chad Morris right now. I still think he can turn it around. I think it might have been a grouping of mistakes that he had that wound up costing us the game, and I think he can correct those. But I would like to see him take more personal responsibility and tell me as a fan, these are the mistakes I made 
And this is how I'm going to correct those takes. That would make me feel much more comfortable. I, I totally agree. Um, I'm not giving up on Morris, and I'm not. We're not saying these things like being, even though we're homers and crazy fans, we're not uh, that crazy. We're like, oh, I got to fire it right now. I think you can improve. I think a lot of these things are correctable, and they're correctable by this next. Um, and yeah, it's, it's all right to criticize the dang head coach when he's making three and a half million. And, and like you said earlier in the podcast, if the players are you know messing up, we'll uh, we'll get after them too and uh, call them out. But the coach, I mean, there's a reason those players aren't they're not the ones making the million dollars. But why, why not? Why aren't? Why wouldn't you call out for us? I mean, he knows it. He, he's got to he's got to know the pressure's on him to win. We're we're tired of leaving. He shouldn't have taken the job. He didn't want the pressure of an SEC job. It's just, this is a bigger deal than bigger deal than coaching SMU, and obviously a bigger deal than coaching high school football. But I'm I'm not giving up on I'm not giving up on the season. But it's just things you notice and the Hog fan, you're mad because it shouldn't have been like that. We should have been two and zero, oh, and. Um, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And the media is out there talking about, we don't know why we lost. We're confused. We're not sure how this happened. Okay, they're wrong. I'm telling you, this is how it happened. This is why we lost. The coach is the reason we lost this game. And it's okay for you as a fan to be upset at the coach and losing that game and dropping the ball right there. It's okay for you to blame the head coach and say, this was your loss because if we don't do that and we don't hold this coach accountable, then it's going to take us forever if we do need to replace the coach in the future. Not saying we do, but if we do, it's going to take us forever to do that because we're always going to be looking to the future and talking about how things are going to get better and tomorrow will be a better day and we'll win the next day. As fans of Arkansas, we've been doing that for too long now, and we got to move forward with here's the accountability, here's what we expect. Look at it this way. If you go to your job, all right, and you can think right now, whatever you do, whatever your job is, you go to that job Monday morning and you just mess up your assignment, whatever that assignment is, you just mess it up, and it's an assignment that you should not mess up, but you totally mess it up. Is your boss going to hold you accountable for that? Or is your boss going to say, well, let's give him four years. You know, he needs some time to get things rolling. He's new to the company. So it's okay for us to hold the head coach accountable. And I want all the fans to know it's okay for you to hold the head coach accountable. I still want everybody to support the team. I want everybody to go to the game. I think it's really important. I think the players need our support now more than ever. But it's still okay to hold the head coach accountable and say, we know you messed up, we know this is why you lost, and we want to see you correct these things. He is the highest paid state employee, more than the governor makes. So it's important for us to hold him accountable. As a fan base, our tax dollars are paying that. I agree. I mean, uh, I don't see why you wouldn't criticize him. It comes down to him, and, he, I, and I, I think he should have taken more responsibility for it. I think he should have corrected it last night on his radio show. I think he should have said that it was, he should have taken he should have taken the blame for the for the loss. Why? I mean, why would you 
trying to throw your players in the bus. Like like you saying, like the boss. Why would the boss try to throw the workers? That's not that's not good for you know morale. You think these players? They catch wind of that. They really pay attention to kind of what he's saying. He's like, you're not. I mean, that's not the motivation. Is like, oh, he doesn't think we're. You know, he thinks we don't have mental toughness. He doesn't think we're tough. You know, how would that make you feel? That would make me feel too good. If he took the blame. He's like, okay, okay, we got it. We got it. He's taking the blame for the law. We got it. We got to uh, support him and you know help along the way and win. So uh, you don't have to do that again. Nobody's to blame. And then, you know, we got a first email this week from a fan, which is great. And, you know, it's a topic that I was like, should we even touch this? But after we got the email in, I, thought, I said, you know, this is something that we have to touch. And Blake from Little Rock asked us, he says, Coach Morris went to his son's high school game on Friday. How do you feel this affected the players relating to this game? Was this an issue? Okay, so I think that's a fair question. and Very fair. You know, I think I'm going to say this. I'm going to say I understand trying to be a family man. I understand wanting to go to your son's games and being at your son's games. I also understand having a high-profile job. And I also know whenever you're making millions of dollars to do that job, you're going to have to make some sacrifices that you wouldn't normally make or you don't want to make. And one of those sacrifices might be, to get on the plane with the team and fly to the hotel and have a film session with your team before you go play Colorado State where everybody is on the same page because my thing is this. There's players on the team that have brothers, I'm sure, that are high school football players. I'm sure they'd love to go watch their brothers play. There's coaches on the team that have kids that are playing high school football, probably some of them in Fayetteville. I'm sure they would love to stay behind and watch their sons play high school football instead of getting on a plane and flying out. I didn't hear about anybody else that stayed behind to go watch a family member play a game or to be with their family. And what kind of attitude does that put in your player's head? What is the are the players resentful for that? Are other coaches resentful for that? Is that an issue that they're like, well, you know, he gets to go off and, and do whatever he wants just as long as, you know, he gets what he wants. You know, he, he makes most money, he's running the program, and then he, he just gets to leave and go and, and do his own thing whenever he wants to do it. I'm not saying that's the attitude that they have, but that very well could be the attitude some of the people have. And that could cost us some games, possibly. Now, as a family man myself, I hate to say that's the issue, but I just feel like that there's some sacrifices you got to think about making. So, so, what do you? How how do you answer that email? Yeah, it's a great question for Blake. Uh, I totally agree with you. Hey, it comes down to uh, if they would have flown out there a day earlier. And he spent that time with the team on Thursday and then all after morning afternoon with them on Friday. Then, <laughs> hey, you know, then maybe go, but like just get out there Friday and then as soon as that or, you know, I mean, did he even, did he even go to Colorado first? Um, when you take a big job like that, that's one you sit down with your family and discuss. 
I was like, they got they got no, they always talk about that when you're taking any kind of job, not even just football coaching or any coaching. They say you sit down with your family and talk about it, there's gonna be sacrifices. I mean, this is a big time program. A once in a lifetime opportunity for, for uh Coach Morris. And it, uh, his son's gotta understand, his wife's gotta understand. And especially to go to every game, I'm like, My goodness, uh, there's uh yeah, and thing like you're saying, other coaches, other staff members uh, the players, they have relatives. They would love to see play. Little brothers playing, but they probably, they've been in college while their little brothers are playing in high school. May not get to see them. You don't have to check out highlights after the game or, or, or text them, call them and see how they did. And Coach Morris is a special one. Not only is he, you know, if we win, he gets all the accolades and the big money, but then he gets special treatment like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, it's, and to me, that, that's where the issue comes in is, you're getting special treatment. You're already the head coach. You're already getting all the accolades, and then you're getting all. You're, then you're doing your own thing. You know, you teach and you preach about being a team, being a family, all being in it together. Everybody being one heartbeat and going out there and playing as a force together. And then you say, oh, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna head off. I'll be back after a bit." <laughs> I don't know. So. I mean, it's, it's great. I mean, it's great to be a family man, but it's it's such a struggle. I mean, college football, especially these days, uh, with so much pressure and everything, is like just a different circumstance in itself. I mean, the sacrifice you have to make, and it's it's great. I know he wants to watch them. I mean, even if he like that, a lot of seems like you always hear that. It's like, oh, the bye week. The coach is like, hey, it's the bye week. I'm gonna go. You know, if they're not able to scout or hey, I'm gonna go watch them. A kids play or something like that, but every Friday night, right? I mean, right before the game, that's tough. That's really tough. Absolutely, and I, mean, I think this, these reasons, are the reasons we lost the game. I think we, I think we have dissected it very well, and we've been able to pinpoint why we lost the game. And I think Coach Morris is. is is the reason we lost the game. And again, I'd like to see a little more responsibility for Coach Morris. So let's let's dig into the game a little bit. So uh Devon Whaley. Twenty six rushes, hundred and sixty five yards. Rakeem Boyd, seven rushes, sixty seven yards, and Chase Hayden, eleven rushes with fifty five yards, with T J Hammonds getting three rushes and eight yards. I mean we were running the ball well. I mean, my goodness. And, uh, to have a workhorse like that, that, that Sevois Whaley, uh, 165 yards on 26 carries. And his longest was 18. So he was getting, you know, and that's, that's about an average of a six, a six plus a, a carry. It was just like getting six, seven, ten at a pop, you know. And just, and Rakeem Boyd, um had a, the, the big man, the big, uh, the guy sitting behind me at game, we're talking about, uh, which numbers, uh, is, all our state bros, you know, like, which number is your cream boy? We've seen him on, uh, what's that? Last chance you. And as soon as you know, I was like, oh, he's number five. And like, second, they're coming back. I like, there he is. And he's breaking tackles and got that third or six yarder. And man, he's tough. He was breaking tackles, keeping his legs going. Uh, Chase Hayden, the shifty guy, 55 yards. Uh, and even though it's, you know, on the Russian stats, it's at eight yards on three carries for TJ Hammond. Really that, uh, 64 yard touchdown that was just a little, uh, 
four is flipped from Kelly. Mm-hmm. That, that really, that really should be another 64, 65 yards added to him. Absolutely. Down the sideline, that was great. Absolutely. No, absolutely. You know, that, that, uh, that little flip pass was definitely something that he took to the house and that was amazing to watch. You know, it was a good, you know, that's where I look at Coach Morris and I go, that's great coach. You know, to get mm-hmm. a guy to the, to the perimeter, get him the ball, let him make some moves, let him go get his touchdown. You, 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 that's where you're looking at your guys. You know where they're good at. You're getting them the ball in such a way that they can go make something happen. And, uh, you know, that's why I'm excited about Texas more. You know, and I, I know we ran him down a lot <laughs> at the beginning of this podcast. But I want to say, like, that's why I'm excited about the guy. The guy oh, yeah. has some good play calls, too, you know. The guy does some good things. Um, so let's look at Ty Story. 14 yards, or 14 plays, 41 yards back. I mean, just, just horrible. It was weird watching it because the first game they came in and he was on time with all of his receivers. His drops were good. His reads were good. His check downs were good. And then this game, everything was off. His drops were off. You could tell he wasn't reading the field properly. Um, he, he was, it was like he was shook. It was like he had been sacked several times and he was, he was getting pressured, but he wasn't getting pressured. No. Just, and he hadn't been sacked. Uh-uh. And he was just back there just having a really hard time. I, had not, I don't know why he was having such a hard time. Really weird. Usually when a quarterback is in sync with their receivers, that's not something that you don't see. Um, that, that, don't, that, doesn't, that doesn't keep being um, constant. Usually when you're in sync with your receivers, it's easy to stay in sync. And usually you see a quarterback stay and think, so maybe it was just a bad game. Um, who knows? Maybe the altitude was getting to him. I know all the players saw the altitude didn't bother me. I was fine. But when you're that age and you're up there playing, and you're not going to look over at your buddy you're playing football with and you're not going to say, hey, you know, I'm kind of having a hard time breathing here. Or, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little dizzy or whatever. You know, you're just going to tough it out and do what you got. Yeah, they're not going to admit that. Yeah, no, that's 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 not what uh, that's not that's not how young men act, especially young men on a football team full of testosterone and bravado. So Cole Kelly, eleven plays, eighty-six yards, and again, what sixty of those eighty-six yards is a split pass. So really, his stats wasn't that much better than Ty's stories. But when you put Kelly in, the difference was when he threatened with the run. Uh, everybody had to crash inside the box, and then he could get the ball to the outside. And you saw him do that several times. So I thought that's why he gave him a spark, not necessarily throwing the ball around, but more of his demeanor and his, his control of the offense and then his control of the uh, linebackers and the, the line by his movement. Exactly. And um... – he did have a nice uh, – he threw a couple of that uh, – kind of a fader at the touchdown to Petway with a really nice thrown ball. And goodness, that uh, uh, route to, along the sidelines to Jordan Jones, who I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess it was – I guess he was out. But, man, if he could have just got that one foot in, we're probably talking about um, 
probably talked about two and zero today, but that was man, that was about a, as well thrown a ball as you can get. He, he can throw it down the sideline. That's encouraging to see. But oh yeah, the uh, ball he was managed good. offense well. Yeah, no, the ball was good. Um, the catch was good, and he brought his feet down the best he could. He really did, and it was just one of those situations where it was just a minuscule. Like even though the play was so good and you did the best you possibly could, you you just your feet were just on the um just on the out of balance marker and it was yeah. just enough. I mean I saw it and when I saw it I said that's not that's not hold up. No. <laughs> and hey, you know, it's one of those things where you, you hate to see and you hate that, but that's why you gotta be a little more aggressive as Arkansas Redbacks, because for one, when we get an S E C play you know that Let's be honest. The um, referees have their darling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they would have been, that would have been not even reviewed. That would have been automatically out against Alabama. Oh yeah, absolutely. Even at home. <laughs> absolutely. And um, so you know you, you got you got to be aggressive as the Arkansas team because you're going to have to overcome situations like that. Sometimes it's going to be a youth. Sometimes it's going to be the um, referees, but there are going to be situations like that that you have to overcome. And I don't think that the players didn't overcome it. I don't think they did anything wrong after that. I I thought the players still played well, kept their heads up high, you know. Um, It was what it was, but yeah, what a tough play. Yeah, I mean, mean, like the old adage says, football's a game of ventures, and that's exactly what it is. Absolutely. And you know, and it's one of those things where if the coaching decisions that we talked about earlier in the podcast were corrected, we would already been up by several points, and that that doesn't matter, you know, because I felt like we would have had we would have had uh, Kelly in earlier. And he would already had a couple more scores on the board, and we, and we would we would be we'd be rocking and rolling a little more. And so that play wouldn't have been nearly as significant. So it would have just been a capper on the game just for the highlight reel. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's a cupcake, you know. It's an extra, extra eye thing, but man. But let's look at our uh, wide receivers here. We got Jeremy Patton with uh, two catches for 26 yards. Austin Cantrell with one catch for 10 yards. LaMichael Petway with three catches for 31 yards. And then Jordan Jones with three catches for two yards. So LaMichael Petway really stole the show in this game. Yeah, and he, uh, he had a couple touchdowns in the Eastern Illinois game. Um, Jones didn't have as great of a game as we said. Uh, he couldn't get that foot in on the play of the board. It might be different, but still, it's, that way is definitely both both quarterbacks go to receiver, which I like to see them have a go to receiver. If you look at them, if you look at the stats, the, the receiving stats, I mean, it's like one reception, two receptions. Nobody had more than two, you know, two catches or two or three catches. Mm-hmm. Like nobody was just, I mean. You know, yeah, no, nobody. Was 11, 11 completions overall, but it was nice to see, you know, the tight end, Patton, Jeremy Patton, has kind of been hobbled. He got a couple catches for twenty six yards. But like, mm-hmm. we've got to be more balanced. First game we were all pass. Second game we were all run. Man, we got to we got to be all we got to be balanced. Yeah, I, I think balance is important at the end of the season. Yeah, sure. during the game you got to do what what it takes to win. So if the game's balance themselves out in the first game you needed to pass the ball to win and the next game you needed to run the ball to win 
you got to do what you got to do to win that particular game, you know. And yeah. I, if, I don't if think, you look at the stats right now, it's, it's balanced from that. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you look at, you know, if you look at our stats, we had 50 run plays and 23 pass plays. And so, yeah, we did run the ball more than we passed the ball. We had 318 yards running the ball and 110 yards passing the ball. So we definitely ran the ball more times than we passed the ball. I, I'd like to say 15 pass plays in this game, as good as we were running oh, yeah. the ball. Exactly. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, cause, and I wouldn't even, when I said about the balance, I wouldn't even be concerned about it if we would have just, you know, pulled out the victory. But, yeah, we needed more runs again. And we should have had – I, I mean, we shouldn't even put, have to put the ball in the air in the fourth quarter, especially. Probably the catcher was after that fourth and one, so we got that and just kept running until we got in the end zone or killed enough clock where there was no chance of them coming back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then um, if we look at our defense, well, you can see that uh, the John Harris had uh, 11 tackles. Uh, Santos Ramirez had 11 tackles. Uh, they were they were leading uh, our leading tacklers on defense, and you know I know that Colorado stepped through the ball around, but if you really look at the game and you can see as the game went on and as our players became winded because of the altitude, their passing game got better. And by the fourth quarter, they had two steps on our corners. And so they were able to pass the ball at will down the field because we were just too tired. And I believe that I believe that's altitude. I believe the altitude got a hold of us, and that's why that was. Because if they were just faster than us, they would have been faster than us in the first quarter. The whole They'd yeah. been faster now we're, than us in the second quarter. I mean, that first couple quarters, we looked mean. I mean, we were getting three and out, four and out. Uh, they scored three points in the first quarter and uh, six points off two field goals in the second quarter. And uh, if you combine the first, second, and third quarter, they scored a total of 17. And in the fourth, they scored a total of 17. So they matched it all alone in the fourth quarter from just us being tired and not and not running the ball. Where defense would would have had a more opportunity to rest. Absolutely. You know, Carter Samuels, give him his credit. He threw for 389 yards. Uh, you know, they had their, their receivers, uh, Preston, who we talked about, had 154 yards. Uh, Butler, we talked about 107 yards. Um, you know, Johnson, we talked about, had 47 yards. So, like, you know, we called it. We called it coming in. Mm-hmm. We said that we, there was going to be SEC quality quarterback and receiver play, and we were really going to be tested in that area. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, we're totally right, and that's, I mean, they've been killing everybody that's been playing earlier this year. And uh, we well, yeah, I don't know. I think it just, I think it just <laughs> came down to it's easy to say, but came down to us just getting winded. That's why, it's like, I mean, just perfect point you made. They weren't two steps ahead of us the entire in the first, second, and third quarter. It was just the fourth quarter. But Williams is going to tear up the rest of, especially the Mountain West, the rest of the year. Hopefully, he, uh, I know we're in SEC conference, but. Bring the Colorado State feet for the Gators, and I hope he tears them up uh, this weekend as well. I know they, I know Florida won't be in the altitude, but yeah. yeah, I hope I hope they're able to go down there and tear up Florida. I really do. I have a feeling that being the Florida game is not going to be an altitude game. That Florida is going to be able to hold on to the game 
for the entirety of the game without having Colorado State have that comeback like they had against us and Hawaii. Um, it was interesting to watch and see how winded Florida gets playing at their altitude versus playing at Colorado State's altitude. Oh, yeah. So Colorado State, to win that game, Colorado State's going to have to play like they do have been in the fourth quarters the whole <laughs> the whole game. Absolutely. And then Florida's not even that good this year, honestly. They even got a really good team. I'm not saying that because they lost Kentucky. I think Kentucky has a good team. I'm just yeah. saying that Florida's just been struggling for the past few years, you know. So, all right. Even, even with – even with Mo- I'm sorry. No, go, go ahead. I was going to say, even with Mullen, hell, their Florida's probably – they may be mad at the fans down there. may be mad about them losing Kentucky for the first time in 30-something years, and we are to call out of state. First year, they can get it right. I mean, sure. Hopefully, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So they feel like Mullen can get back on track, just like we feel like Morris can crack his mistake. Absolutely. So, player of the game, you got to pick one. Who's going to go I'm with going, him? I'm going Devlaw Whaley. He was just the workhorse that entire game. Uh, again, that number 26 carries, 165 yards, and a touchdown. Um, Several first downs ran. I've got to go with Whaley. Yeah, I agree. I got, I got to go with Whaley too. I just every time he touched the ball, he made something happen and he did something special. So for me, you know, Whaley, Whaley has my vote as player of the game. And I know we lost the game, but you know, goodness gracious, man, I'm sure Whaley got confidence from that game that he needed, and he's going to need moving forward into the North Texas game. So yeah, and. Uh, on our uh, second week podcast, uh, previewing the Colorado State game, we said we had that was one of the things we were looking for. Uh, we had to get the running game on track. So it's at least uh, taking away a positive. It's at least encouraging that we can run the ball and the offensive line and uh, getting healthier and to see the running backs run like that. At least we could take that away going into the North Texas game. Absolutely. So, do you have anything else? that you'd like to add about the uh, Colorado State game? Anything we missed? Anything we need to talk about? You know what? Honestly, I think like everybody a Hogs fan, but at this point, I'm, I'm ready to move on. It was rough. I attended the game. The Colorado State fans turned into turned into buttholes after being uh, <laughs> uh, after being so nice. Uh, the whole weekend up there in the tailgate, they were having fun with us and saying, oh, I'm glad y'all made it. I hope y'all have a good trip. There were fans giving up saying, oh, I hope y'all, y'all beat us pretty when we were up by a couple touchdowns. They were saying, already giving up. Like, oh, well, good game, guys. Hope y'all enjoyed the trip. And all of a sudden they started coming back and had fans yelling profanities at me to sit down. And after the game was rough and like, <laughs> oh, blah, blah, blah. And they said, oh, we want Bama and have fun in the SEC, not winning any games. And, wow. Uh, so wow. I'm ready to, yeah, it was, it was rough, man. I didn't expect that. I was like, they want Bama. Talking in. Yeah, Arkansas fans weren't talking smack to them. Everybody went out there to <laughs> enjoy the Rockies and like see the Hogs play on the road, and all of a sudden they just flipped their switch. I don't, I don't know if their their buzz wore off or what, but they just they they're turning they're turning angry like we we did something like and yeah they they were definitely shouting we want them. <laughs> Goodness gracious! Good luck with that. <laughs> well, let's just let's just hope that nobody brought anything back with them from. Uh, from Colorado, because, you know, who knows, man, maybe the tweeds and things, maybe that was the situation going on with all the 
Well, maybe Coach Moore should have been there to uh, watch out for them the night before, make sure they didn't visit any of those uh, shops out there. Oh, I thought that might have been why you didn't talk with them on Friday. Oh, who knows? <laughs> who knows? All right. Yeah, that's that's all I got to say about it. I'm I'm glad we can laugh, man. We're we're we're, we're still all fans. I know you are because you're listening oh, to yeah. it. Oh, that's uh, one of the things I heard when the when the podcast talking about like, oh, you're a fan. What are you gonna do? This, that, and other. Blah, blah, blah. Talking about like, you know, how much can you take? And this, that, and other. Let me tell you what, man. If you're a fan and you're listening to this hot podcast, and I'm sure you listen to the Hog Call podcast because you are a fan, you're getting two great things out of this. One is we actually talk about football, and we actually talk about the games, and we're going to actually talk about basketball, we're actually going to talk about baseball, and we're actually going to keep you updated on the Hogs. And sometimes that means going through some of the stuff that, that, that hurts that we don't want to go through, like the stats for this game that we just had to go through and talk about it. But now we all have a firm understanding of why we lost and some things we can do to win a game moving forward and we can make a informative decision on how well our coach is doing by seeing if he makes these changes that we've pinpointed that need to be made so my back to my original statement is as a fan we know that you're not going anywhere because you're a fanatic you're just like us win or lose you're going to be a hog fan tomorrow and the next day and the day after and the day after. And if you're listening to this podcast, we know it's because you want to be informed about the hogs. And we're trying to give you some good information, some information that you're not necessarily going to get from the media. You're not going to get from other podcasts. We're trying to give you actual numbers and give you actual football knowledge to help you understand the Arkansas Razorbacks just a little bit better. So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, go ahead. We're exercising our demons. And if you're like us, uh, you had a bad uh, Saturday night, Sunday, and probably Monday. But like Hawks fans, you're not going to give up on the team. If you, if you weren't a real Hawks fan, you wouldn't be bothered by it. You'd go around your merry way and not worry about it. But you're a Hawks fan, it's going to hurt. That's just, that's just <laughs> being a Razorback fan, it's not, the it's not the first hurt. Good Lord, it's not the first hurt of the year. How many? Look, and to other sports, how many times we've we been hurt already? We can get over it. We're going to move on. And we're going to believe it. We're going to, we're going to get back on track. Absolutely. We're and I'm not saying all... maybe next year. I'm saying, come on, just get on track this year. Well, then we're getting around. We're back on track now. We've talked about it. We've had plenty of time to mourn about it. We've pinpointed what was wrong. We've pinpointed who we feel made the, the, the issues happen. And why the issues happened. We pinpointed what was good, what was bad, and now we're going to move on. Now was the time that we got to get out of our hog pressure and we got to move forward into the next game. Are you ready to leave that game behind, Tim, and go to the next game? I have cured the hog pressure, and that's just not the beer. So I'm talking absolutely, absolutely, maybe a little. Let's beat the Mean Green. <laughs> so University of North Texas, the Mean Green. They won Conference USA Western Division title last season, and they had a 9-5 and campaign. So the SMU game, they won 46-23 to at North Texas. Mason Fine is their quarterback. They led the University of North Texas to a victory, completing 40 of 50 passing attempts for 440 yards and three touchdowns. North Texas focused on the passing game, 
in their first outing of 2018, and they amassed 461 passing yards compared to only 68 rushing yards. The Mean Green held SMU to just nine first downs, four rushing yards, and 252 passing yards. So they're not a bad team. It looks like defensively they're a pretty good team, and it looks like offensively they got a heck of a passing game. When yeah, we win- can't take them. Can't take these guys lightly. Uh, I heard a league Mason Fine, a guy that uh, he's from Locust Grove, Oklahoma, about uh, halfway between Springdale and Tulsa. Um, short little guy, but man, he's number one in the nation in passing. So just that alone, uh, coming out of the gate, it's going to be a be a test. Absolutely. And then they played Incarnate Word University. Um, I'm not sure if Incarnate Word is one of these universities that actually schedule football games to lose, but there are some out there that do that. And, you know, there's been some ESPN um, articles on this where there are these universities, you've never heard of them. Uh, they're a little bitty. They schedule a game to lose. They go in, they get seven, eight hundred thousand dollars to play at somebody's stadium and then they take that money and they put it maybe back in academics or whatnot and their football team isn't even really a football team. Um I don't know if that's the case with Incarnate Word. I do know there were some interesting uh things with them like their coach is the youngest coach in college football. Um it was a sixteen to fifty eight victory over Incarnate Word, again at North Texas, so both home games. Uh, Mason Fine led the University of North Texas to victory, completing 25 of 40 passing attempts, 418 yards, and four touchdowns. And North Texas focused on the passing game um, in their second game also. They amassed 454 passing yards to only 166 rushing yards. So they like to pass the ball more than they like to run the ball. Oh, they definitely do that. Sorry, Ken, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, it's looking like a kind of like Colorado State. Um, looking uh, for those two games combined, they've they've had a, a 221 net rushing yards and 2.6 average, and uh, they're definitely going to throw the ball a lot more than they they run it. But um, definitely got to keep an eye on it. But uh, seem to be definitely uh, one sided with Mason Fine on the passing offense. Absolutely. So we look at the quarterback situation here. Of course, it's Mason Fine. He's a junior. Uh, he's a uh, conference USA player of the year last year. Uh, he holds University of North Texas single season passing record, including, uh, completions, attempts, yards, and touchdowns. Uh, he did throw 15 interceptions last year, and that was his biggest hiccup is that he is prone to throw an interception. He is on the so he's a gunslinger. He is. He's a gunslinger. He's on the Walter Camp, Maxwell, Davy O'Brien, and Manning Award watch list. Um. So yeah, he he uh he's backed up by uh, Quinn Cannibal, who's a senior, and I suspect we will not see Quinn in this game. I could not imagine, um, unless Brian for some reason has a. Injury, which I hope not. Um, or, or then, well, definitely, we, there's just no way we could we could see Quinn in another opportunity besides that. Uh, <laughs> that would not be good. 
So this fine kid is just is a he is he is a standout kid. He's really something. Um, when we look at the running backs, you have Nick Smith, who's a sophomore. Uh, he's the most ex- experienced uh, running back, and uh, he has 14 games under his belt. 138 rushes for 684 yards and six TDs last year. And then you have Lauren Easley, who's a junior. He was a standout at Stephen F. Austin and then transferred over to North Texas. Uh, he has 479 yards with seven touchdowns on 87 carries at Stephen F. Austin. And then you've got uh, Evan Johnson, who's a sophomore. He played 14 games, had 43 rushes for 239 yards and three touchdowns. So they got a stable of running backs. And the, the good news for us is they lost Jeffrey Wilson, who's with the San Francisco 49ers, after he rushed for 1,215 yards last year and 16 touchdowns. So their best running back is, is gone. He, he, oh, with, yeah. He's in the NFL. So, so far, looking at their staff, they're missing him. That's good, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, these other guys, somebody's going to have to pick up the the slack, and so far they haven't. Uh, so far there's been – the, the game stats have, have been such that the passing has been way more than the running. So uh, it looks like we're going to be able to focus on stopping the pass, which is good because if you know what you – need to stop in the game, it makes the game much easier than you go in with a really balanced team and, and you have to, you know, figure out how you're going to stop everything. Yeah, I mean, the only kind of positive you see for the running game is uh, the only guy that scored touchdown, he scored three of them, is DeAndre Torrey, and quick glance, he's 5'7", 185, so he's a little uh, muscle hamster kind of going in there and scoring touchdowns, but he averaged, you know, Looks like short yards. He's only got 18 attempts, and uh, six of them with TDs have been touchdowns. <laughs> Goodness gracious! So when we look at the O line, their O line has more experience than our O line does. Uh, you got uh, Alex Woodward, who's uh, left tackle, he's a senior. You got uh, Thomas Preston, the left guard, he's a junior. You got Sosa Mosey, he's a senior, he's a center. Uh, Mansa Mosey who's a sophomore, right guard, and then Riley Mayfield, who's the right tackle, and he's a senior. So you've got a lot of experience, but you don't have anybody on ward watch list. You don't have anybody that's, like, really, really standing out. All right, so when we move over to our wide receivers, we got uh, Michael Lawrence, who's a junior. He had 62 receptions. 819 yards for 13.2 carries per catch and four touchdowns. Uh, Jalen Guyton, a senior, 49 receptions, 775 yards, 15.8 yards per carry, and nine touchdowns. You got Jalen Darden, a sophomore, has 281 yards, three touchdowns from last year as a freshman. You got uh, Keegan Brewer, who's a sophomore. He's a Kansas transfer that played in all 12 games as a true freshman at Kansas, grabbing 15 passes for 86 yards. And then you got uh, Quinn Sandberg, who is a freshman. So I guess that's their quarterback, so I guess they may rotate him in. He must be a little bit. Uh, I know on the receivers, 
the, the two guys that had the seven passing touchdowns, seven receiving touchdowns, uh, and two of those guys have caught uh, a total of six of them. That Bussy kid, uh, Rico Bussy, 6'2", 190, got some height on him. A junior, he's gone for 17 catches this year for 237, three touchdowns. And then Jalen Gutton, they're getting, um, 6'1", that'll look a little height. Uh, Another junior with experience. He's had 12 receptions for two of six and three touchdowns. So he's got some favorite targets too, but if you look at their stats, they still like to spread it around. Yeah, but they, they, you would have to. I mean, if you're throwing the ball that much, you got to spread it around. You, 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 I mean, there's no other option. So. And they usually look like they go with a, a four, four wide, four wide set. Uh, mm-hmm. the tight end has caught, uh, looks like Kelvin Smith, he has caught seven passes on the year, so they will use the title. Oh, excellent. So, I mean, I think their offense is pretty much it, – it just it's easy to see what they're going to do. They're going to throw the ball, they're going to run it just a little bit, and they're going to try to make it a shootout game. Yeah, and we, we got to play – like we played the first couple quarters in Colorado State, just force them to, to three and out or maybe only one first down in each drive. And not let them just throw it all over the field, and uh, hopefully without altitude, won't run out of gas um, <laughs> in Fayetteville. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just keep playing like that because we showed against. I mean, Carter Sanders, he had it. He's done it the first couple games this year, throwing 500, 400 yards, and threw big on us in the fourth. So we we're, we should be. We we've seen it. We haven't seen wishbone offenses. Uh, our defense hasn't seen wishbone offenses or anything the first couple games. So. Uh, We've got a little practice facing this all pass, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I watched this game against Carnet Word. That's the one I was able to catch on ESPN3. Uh, I wanted to see the, uh, the the first game of theirs, but wasn't able to find it. So I wound up watching the Carnet Word game last night. And, you know, they're not that impressive. They're just own target they just their their time is on with their receivers and um so you know it's just i think well i think we can definitely get out there i think we can definitely stop these guys we can stop the pass um it's just going to be making sure they don't get hot when they first come out i think if we keep them from throwing passes in the first quarter it's going to give us a really good chance to, to win the game if we can shut them down in the first quarter because that's really going to take away a lot of their you know, their hopes and dreams to win this thing. And uh, I think that might frustrate the quarterback, and that would be good. I mean, we've been getting pressure on the quarterback, and it's going to be hard for a team to go up against a John Chavis defense, a Chiefs defense, and throw the ball as much as they do without getting, you know, demolished by our line back there because we're coming after the quarterback, and I think we're we're going to be we're going to be seeing a lot of blitzes. I think you're going to see a lot of blitzes. That's that's we've got to make it we got to make it tough on the fine. Oh yeah, we don't yeah. want to we don't want easy throws. You know, we no, want we want to sit back there and chuck it. Well, yeah, we want to get pressure on him, and we want to knock some of those throws down. You know, um, takes. I, I I'm a fan. I always say if it's going to be a, a long uh, reception. More than 15 yards, go ahead and commit the penalty. Go ahead, grab the jersey, face Great. mask, slap it down, whatever <laughs> you got to do. Take that 15 yards instead of 30, 40 yards, you know? Yeah, it's not the NFL rule where the ball's placed 
you know, <laughs> throw it 50 <laughs> yards down the field. Well, the ball's going to be placed the way down there. No, it's just 15 yards from the line of scrimmage. So that's a lot better than a 60-yard mm-hmm. yard completion for six. Absolutely. So use those uh, use those rules to our advantage. You know, that's another. That's where you'll see. Oh, how good is the defensive coordinator? Well, if he's coached the kids to do those types of things, that's less where you see a really excellent defensive coordinator. And Chavis has been around this for a long time. I'm sure he's got the kids yep. ready. So SMU defense. Um, do you have anything else on the offense that you'd like to add? No, I. I was about to say, I, I was with you. I really wanted to watch the North Texas SMU game, uh, SMU being a better opponent than Ben Carter Word. But I think I looked back and it was on Facebook video or some, uh, one of the school sites. So that didn't help anybody. I remember thinking about that the first week. Like, well, you know, that's, that's probably going to be a shootout. I'd like to see what North Texas looks that like. Um, and like you're saying with the timing, with Mason signing his receivers, um, cause he's been even, so this would be, I think he took over looking at his stats. He played 10 games at first year, had 261 attempts. So he's, practically this is his third year of being a starter with these guys. So there, there's a reason why he's got some timing. And that's something I'm very envious with our uh, quarterbacks. But yeah, that's all I've got to say for their offense. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, uh, let, let's go ahead and move down to the, uh, SMU defense. We got a three-four with two safeties, so you're going to see a three-man front. So you're going to have a defensive end, a nose tackle, and a defensive end. Then you're going to have four linebackers. Two of the linebackers are going to call those nickel backs. So we'll put those uh, in the slot. They'll take outside contain. They'll be just between the uh, end of the line. And the, uh, flat. So that's, that's where they're going to line up at. Just, just, just before you get to the numbers is where you'll see them. And then you'll have two linebackers. You'll have a strong side linebacker and you'll have a, uh, weak side linebacker. And uh, then you're going to have your cornerback, uh, on top of your receivers with a strong safety, uh, over the top and a free safety over the top. So that's what their defense looks like. That, that's what you'll be seeing. So, oh, uh, the defensive line, you got Roderick Young, uh, I can't even say this one. Uh, he's the defensive end. You've got uh, Ulaeus Talalu at nose tackle. Ladarius Hamilton at defensive end. Um, they are two seniors and a junior. So you got some experience there. Uh, you got Tariq Davis coming in as a sophomore. Um, he's going to play on the strong side at nickelback. Uh, he has 14 games under his belt with 17 tackles. You've got uh, Joe Azagu, who's a starter, um, weak side, uh, sophomore. He's got 11 games, two starts, 18 tackles, uh, with two sacks under his belt. And then you also have Jamie King, who's a junior, and he, he rotates in on that weak side. So you'll see those two rotating in on the weak side nickelback. Do you have anything on those guys, Tim? Oh yeah, I think uh thing I was noticing with their linebacker team uh are the ones that really gets pressure. All their or more than half of their stacks have come from the linebacker spot. Um EJ Ajaya uh looks like the uh, one of the middle linebackers, six three, two thirty one, a red shirt senior. He's got through this uh young year, he's got two sacks and then also five uh five tackles for loss. 
um, which is half of their team, uh, their team defensive tackle for a loss. So, uh, this is Jaya's some guy. They're going to have to uh, definitely make sure they have to keep an eye on and block because, um, experience, uh, gets after, gets into the backfield, gets after the quarterback. Um, the other guy's Brandon Gardner. He's got a couple sacks, a couple tackles for loss, and Jamie King. So the big guy playmakers on defense are coming from linebacker spot. Uh, Absolutely. I, so, you know, three, four defense. You only got three, so it seems more they're wide open playing. Uh, the linebackers have a chance. But those guys to watch out for. Absolutely. And Ajaya, he plays that weak linebacker spot. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Brandon plays the strong side linebacker. So we're, depending on where the tight end lines up for the uh, – the offense is going to depend on where you see these linebackers. So you might see them switching, or if we uh, motion over, they might switch depending on how they define their strength. Some will define their strength with just the tight end where the tight end lines up. Some will define their strength which side of the field has the most players. So if you have trips on one side, they'll define their strength to that side, even though, say, there's a tight end and a uh, wide receiver to the other side. So. You'll you'll see you'll see that but you'll see them switching in and out on that uh, uh, weak side and strong side linebacker position there, and then you have your cornerbacks and Nate Brooks, who's a senior, uh, played 12 games, had eight starts, 31 tackles with two pass breakups. Carmen Hall, who's a senior, uh, 14 starts, 72 tackles, had an interception, eight pass breakups. Uh, Ashton Creston who's a senior, 14 games, 10 starts, 41 tackles, three pass breakups. And then uh, Kari Muhammad, who's a junior, uh, 14, uh, had uh, 14 starts, 94 tackles, and one uh, pass breakup. And then I also seen them rotate Muhammad in at the uh, linebacker position there in that current word game. So that's something also be on the lookout for. Okay, okay, sure. Yeah, and uh, Kimon Hill, he's got two interceptions on the year. Um the defense in hold doesn't force a lot of turnovers, so he's got a couple of them. And, again, back to Zaya at the uh, weak linebacker spot, he's got their fourth. He forced the fumble and recovered one for their own uh, fumble recovery in the year on defense. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and like you said, both the uh, starting quarterbacks uh, are seniors, so they've got some experience. Yeah, absolutely. And then over the top, uh, at their safety position, you've got uh, – the Kahari Muhammad, who also plays at safety sometimes, uh, he plays the free safety. He has uh, more experience than anybody else. He has 94 tackles last season, and he started in every game. Uh, so he's the most experienced safety that they have. So you'll see him play in several different positions, which is really interesting because, you know, I guess he's just one of those playmakers where they feel like if they need to put him in a different spot, they're going to do that. Uh, so look for him to be the adjustment. If they go in at halftime and they make an adjustment, look for him to possibly be the adjustment to move him somewhere where they can have more, uh, more, um, you know, success in the, uh, second half. And then also you have Taylor Robinson at strong safety and he, he's a freshman. He's a, he's a new guy. He's, he's or a junior. He's a new guy. He hasn't, hasn't played any and, uh, you know, he's, He's the, the weakest link on their team is the strong safety. Yeah, that gives them something to look out for. I'm definitely going to be looking for Muhammad and uh, how they utilize him back there, um, depending on how our offensive is looking, um, what kind of our strengths where we're going to, that first half especially. Absolutely. 
And then you got the elephant in the room on special teams, graduate <laughs> transfer. Call <Bring> <laughs> Lenny. He uh starts he's he's their kicker, man, and he's been doing a great job. Hadn't missed any kicks yet, and he is the number one kicker in the nation right now. Um hey, we had him at the University of Arkansas and he couldn't do anything. Give us some insight there, that man. Come on. Well, I know um, Hedlund, he came out of high school as the number one kicker. And I don't remember this, but, you know, uh, out of Texas, uh, it's like, good job, Bill. We're going to have a lockdown kicker, four years, come in as a freshman, next Zach Hawker. You know when he steps up, it's going to be three points on the board. It's going to hit every extra point. Uh, he, in Arkansas, he registered his first year. That's the little guy. I was like, well, man, they're just drinking him. Okay, next year comes in. Freshman 2015 season, it's 9 out of 15. Okay, you know, 60%, not the best. Um, did hit all the extra. Well, he never missed an extra point. That's the problem. Uh, next year, 5 out of 7, not as many. Uh, well, he only played six games. And then 2017, last year, uh, his gym his and his last time as Arkansas kicker, uh, played in those first two games, went 0-2, uh, 0-for-2 against TCU, both field goal attempts were under 30 yards, weren't blocked, and stuff I missed completely. And he was done. And uh, now at North Texas, he gets a second chance, seven for seven, like he said, the number one kicker in the nation, even beating out the Colorado State guy who hit a 56 yard against us. Um, and another 50 yard in another game. It's like, good, goodness gracious, what did we miss? Um, but yeah, that's, uh, I'm sure he's looking to kick. Kick against us this weekend back up in Fayetteville. Absolutely. And then you got Seth, uh, the coaches. We'll go to the coaches. You got Seth Luttrell. He's 40 years old. He has a 14-13 uh, record at Denton uh, throughout his first two seasons after guiding North Texas to his seventh nine-win season in school history in 2017. He was also second coach in program history to lead the team to two bowls back-to-back seasons. And to start North Texas tenures at, uh, let's see, what was the bowl appearance? The R&L Bowl in uh, New Orleans and uh, set several records when he went to that one. And then he broke some uh, season, single season uh, program records for points, 479 points, uh, passing touchdowns, 32, 6,336 total offense. I mean, the guy's done a good job since he's been there. Yeah, he's, and he's, uh, Originally from Muskogee, not too far away from this area. Played for Oklahoma as a running back on the uh, 2000 National Championship team. Um, and he's, he's worked under Mike Leach at Texas Tech. Uh, there went to Arizona and Indiana. And uh, before he got the North Texas job, he, he was the assistant head coach under Larry Fedora, who's had some success at North Carolina. So he's in uh, 2000. Er, the year before he came, North Texas was one one in eleven. Uh, they had problems. I know they gave Todd Dodds right out of the high school job. Never worked. Hadn't been good to predict that. Um, but the first year he comes, they're five and eight. Uh, and then the second last year, like you said, second year nine and five. Won won the divisional championship. Uh, played FAU in the conference championship. We know how good FAU was last year, and I think. Coach Morris said, this is, this is his best team. I know they've played each other the last two years when Morris was at SMU, too. So uh, he, he seems like he's got to figure it out down there in Denton, Texas. Absolutely. And then we got Marty Biagi, who I'll work with at the University of Arkansas. 
Um, he joined the Mean Green uh, in 2016. He's a special teams coordinator. Uh, he he uh, was the defensive back coach at the University of Arkansas. He coached special teams at the University of Arkansas. Coached special teams over at Notre Dame. Uh, co-defensive uh, coordinator at the University of Arkansas Pine Bluff when he worked down there. So he has some Arkansas roots, and he's, he's coming back. So it's important that I think we, we recognize that. Marty Biagi was once a uh, major factor at the University of Arkansas under Coach Bob Petrino. So. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. Glad you know him. And uh, besides this game, I'm sure you'll be rooting for him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and then we got uh, Graham Harrell, uh, offense coordinator, at 11 best turnaround in the nation, scored 9.6 points per game, uh, more than it did 2015. North Texas three for 771 yards. More than it did in 2015, a total offense gained 603 yards more than it did in 2015. So he's guided this team to be better and better every year since 2015. So Graham Harrell, offense coordinator, great, great coach. Oh, yeah, and that, my goodness, he was, uh, it, uh, he played under Leach too at Texas Tech. He had some, uh, set NCAA records. <laughs> I think Charles is still, he, he still holds eight individual NCAA records. So he, uh, as you can see, he knows offense. So he seems to be in good hands. I already get this game out of, out of the way. Oh, man. Yeah, I, don't want to, I don't want to have to keep playing in, in uh, future seasons. Well, then you got Troy Fat, uh, Louisiana Monroe. He's the defensive coordinator. Uh, he was at Louisiana Monroe when they beat us. Uh, Back in the day, so you know he's in there like, oh, we can do this, we can beat these guys. I've already done it before. Uh, he's uh, Sun Belt Conference. Uh, uh, he's been ranked the top ten Sun Belt Conference several years running. He was with the uh, Warhawks, who led Sun Belt Conference in total defense. Uh, he was with uh, New Mexico Lobos, and he was ranked uh, 26 nationally in rush defense and top 50 in both defenses. Uh, and scoring defense. He coached 14 seasons at UTEP. And, uh, yeah, he, he, he's coached against Arkansas several times. And that's the thing about this guy. Is he, he knows, he knows Arkansas. He knows our team a little bit. He's coached against us several times. So that's the thing that kind of worries me there with that defensive coordinator. Yeah, that's never what you like to see. Nobody kind of knows us. Uh, none of these guys are going to be uh, – the atmosphere ain't going to be bigger than them. That's for sure. Too big a moment. Oh, absolutely. Score some points on them. Uh, they haven't – you know, they haven't confessed me with incarnate words. So we really haven't gotten an idea um, how good really their defense is. Uh, they've only given up 19.5 uh, points a game. But, you know, I haven't been power competition, um, lesser competition than we saw Colorado State Play before, so this is going to be uh, this is definitely a different level than uh, Arkansas, even at one and one. Definitely a different level than uh, SMU and Incarnate Word. Absolutely, no, I totally agree with that. So, let me ask you this question: What do you think about this game? What's your prediction on this game? You ready for the score? I'm ready for the score. All right, I'm going 51 to 27. No, 
Oh, my goodness, Jeff. I feel like I'm taking it back. I had 51-24, and now I started talking about the headlines. Like, well, he's going to get another fizzle. I'm going to go with 51-24. Okay. Okay, excellent. Yeah, I think uh, I think they're definitely going to score some points. I think I'm going to go to 29-36. I'm going to go 29-36 on this. I think that, that – uh, I think we'll win it. We'll win it, but it's going to be a closer game than we want it to be. I think it's going to be a, kind of a shootout game. And, you know, so so I don't think we're going to get as many points on the board as we want to, but I think we are going to win the game. Yeah, and I, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping I'm wrong about that because here's, here's the thing is that, you know, I'm just going off of what I've seen from the past two games, and, and I just feel like, I want to get my hopes up to have a blowout, win this handedly. I think, I think this thing is going to be a little closer than we want to be. Yeah, I think I may be a little wrong, but that's just what I had written down. But yeah, North Texas is better. I don't know why I would, you know, especially if our quarterback play can't be consistent. So I was hoping at home would kind of get, wrap the ship a little bit, but I'm, uh, I you know, already put down my prediction, so. <laughs> so, Somebody just said to me, I was like, oh, I was never expecting to blow out a call. Like, Damn it. Well, all these blowouts I'm predicting, but. <laughs> that's all right. We got it. We got it. So, um, you know, I guess we got to talk about something that isn't football related, close this thing out. And, you know, the biggest thing that I have is the hurricane coming. Get somewhere safe, guys. Drive somewhere safe. Get in a nice hotel room. Watch the games on Saturday. Don't try to ride out that storm if you're living on the coast. Get out of there. That's what I say. This is from advice from a Floridian. Get on out of there. Yeah, and I, I've always lived in the middle of the country myself, and those aren't never have to experience besides just um, originally from South Arkansas. So we got you know leftover rain from hurricanes, but never right in the middle of it. So I advise uh, 